This is the Rock and Roll Autopsy Podcast. I'm going to zap her again. Charge up the paddles. Come on, let's go, let's go. Sorry, Doctor. Hold the compressions. Clear. Straight line. Good evening and welcome to Rock and Roll Autopsy. We are the forensic files on your radio dial. My name is Scott, and if we got a great show for you tonight, no, we don't. <sighs> the phone is ringing. Again, the request line. All right, let's pick it up. WRNRA, East of the Rockies. Hey, breather. It's been a minute. What's going on, man? Yeah, this is our 50th episode. Feels good to have a milestone podcast birthday. We're just getting started. What do you mean 50 episodes of unlistenable tripe is still tripe? Put a sock in it, fart breath. Is there a song you'd like us to perform an autopsy on tonight? Motorhead? I'm so bad, baby, I don't care. You got it. All right, you heard the man. The subject of our rock and roll autopsy tonight will be I'm So Bad, Baby, I Don't Care by Rock Icons Motorhead. We'll get the show started after these very important messages from our sponsors. The original Iron Man returns. Ozfest is back. Let me Featuring Ozzy Osbourne. Halford, Black Label Society, and more. Coming to a city near you. Get local ticket information at LiveNation.com. Breaking news! What is this garbage you're watching? I want to watch the news. This is the news. All right, gang, we've got our intrepid rock and roll beat reporter, Rico Burgundy, on the line. Rico, how are you, sir? Welcome to the RNRA newsroom, Scott. How are you today? Man, I am ready to hear some news. Well, let's just get right to it. I'm pretty excited about uh, tonight and want to just jump right in. So on uh, November 20th, 1973, uh at San Francisco's Cow Palace. I think you've heard of that. It's a pretty famous concert venue. Um, the Who, were they were playing there, and Keith Moon, sometime during maybe half to two-thirds of the way through the show, he collapsed on stage after somebody spiked his drink with horse tranquilizer. So what they did was, is there was an audience member, a 19-year-old named Scott Halpin, who filled in for him for the rest of the show. And that was it. So somebody roofies him with a horse tranquilizer. Some 19-year-old kid comes and fills in. And that's, you know, just another day in the office, I suppose, right? 
It's another day in the office for Keith Moon, who would have no issues whatsoever, seemingly, with horse tranquilizer or anything else, you know? Well, that's the surprising part about this, that it actually affected him in a negative way. That he actually would, collapsed. Yeah, I would I would think that he would just take something like that, like, well, like a champ, and just keep going, right? <laughs> Oh, anyway, shit. November 20th, 1976, Paul Simon hosted NBC Saturday Night Live, and I believe this was the very first episode. Um, he performed live with George Harrison. They did Here Comes the Sun and Homeward Bound. He opened the show dressed as a turkey in honor because it was Thanksgiving, performed part of Still Crazy all these years before telling the audience, hey, when the turkey concept was first brought up, I said there was a very good chance I'm going to end up looking stupid. But the reason I put this in here was not because of that, because I've seen the video. It's all over YouTube. It's really easy to find. I've been watching the video of him and George Harrison doing those two songs for probably the last 10 or 15 years, actually. If anybody out there wants to see an, an amazing rendition of those two songs, please look this up. It's really easy to find. They're just a couple of dudes on a couple acoustics. It's it's like unplugged back in 1976, and it is fucking amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. It's incredible, man. What a great, phenomenal thing that they... I mean, it was just, man, I don't think you've ever... I, maybe we've talked about it over the years. I don't know. Do you, Have you actually seen that footage or not? I've never seen it. Um, and I'm thinking your timeline might be right too. 76 sounds about right for the time I think when uh, SNL started. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, uh, it's when I saw that because I haven't watched that video in, in a in a little while. And as soon as I, I saw that, I'm like, holy crap! It just I remembered how just how freaking amazing it was. But um, anyway, anybody who wants to see that, check it out. It's really easy to find. November 22, 1968, the Beatles released the White Album. It's a dub. Everybody knows about it. It's a double album. It features Blackbird. Hull. Where do you stand? Wait, we don't. We anytime we talk about Beatles, this album doesn't come up very often between the two of us. Where do you stand with this album? It's probably my favorite. I mean, it's got Happiness as a Warm Gun and. Uh... You know, uh, your blues on it. There's so many great tracks on this this record. Um, I think it's got weeps on it too, doesn't it? Michael Charlie yep, weeps is on here too. I believe. Rocky yeah. Raccoon and yeah. Glass Onion and Back in the USSR Revolution. It's amazing. I mean, it's top to bottom. It's tits, man. It's just loaded with great tracks. You know. How do you think this stacks up to? I think I know my answer. How does this to you stack up the Sgt. Peppers? Better. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I think Sgt. Peppers is more famous because of, well, obviously it's Sgt. Peppers, but I, I don't think it's by far their best album. There's a few that are better than that one, like three off the top of my head that I can think of that are better than that one. Yeah, but I think I, the White Album. I think the White Album is darker, and I think Sgt. Peppers is a little more. Oh, a little more bubble gummy. Yeah. You know? Agree. Agreed. I don't know the exact writing credit breakdown, but the White Album feels more John and Sgt. Pepper's feels more Paul. Yeah, I could buy that. I could buy that. I, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't doubt at all if he had more of a hand in the White Album than Sgt. Pepper's. Um, anyway, moving along. Final. 
in two this is this is crazy man i couldn't believe when i saw this in 2019 accounts showed that guns and roses not in this lifetime tour are you familiar with that tour of course okay it raked in more than half a billion dollars during its three-year run, grossing $584.2 million. It kicked off in 2016. It sold almost five and a half million tickets, making it the third highest grossing tour, according to Billboard Box Score. I was super surprised when I read that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, I, I and it's not because... I mean, I just kind of follow this shit. So I knew yeah. this was making yeah. gangbusters in terms of money. And all of these tours that kind of feel like nostalgia tours. I mean, the stadium tour with Poison, Motley Crue, and uh, Def Leppard crushed at the box office. I mean, these tours crush. And Guns N' Roses was largely, I mean, they didn't really tour in support of Chinese democracy. They mm. got most of the original lineup back for this tour. Um, yeah, it was killing it. I mean, from a band that had largely been inactive. Um, and, and the funny thing is a lot of people forget this tour started with Axel in basically a throne. He had to borrow Dave Grohl's throne because his leg was broken or something. Broken so leg. the yeah. first few shows of this tour, he seated the entire time. And then about halfway through this tour, he cut out to go sing for ACDC and help them finish their tour dates. So Axel was pulling in like gargantuan dollars as both the front man for Guns N' Roses and ACDC during this time, playing in front of gigantic crowds of people. So, I mean, you're talking 100,000 people at some of these shows, you know, so just seas of people, you know, especially at an ACDC show. So it doesn't surprise me, man. These, these tours make bank, you know, especially for these legacy acts. Um, are you at all surprised and maybe that's not a good word but 80s 80s um 80s hair metal revival the nostalgia tours that you're talking about they're freaking gigantic man just like you said and it's not just the couple of i mean there's many many 80s hair bands that are touring that make a killing are you surprised about that and what do you attribute that to well, for one thing, I think, and this is going to sound surprising because we poke fun at a lot of these bands in this podcast, but a lot of them had good songs that people still give a shit about 30 years later. And that's just a fact. I mean, I don't look at, I'm much, much more gentle on hair metal and 80s metal today than I was then. I look at it as just part of the evolution and the history of rock. It's it's just part of the natural progression of the music and the times. And I think there's, yeah, there's a nostalgia component. A lot of those songs are great. Some of the bands can still pull it off. I mean, if you've watched Axel and Guns this past year in 2022, he sounds not great. But during this three-year window of this tour, his voice was tits on these shows. And he killed it in those ACDC shows. He was great. And so some of these bands can still bring it, you know? So if they can, and there's... Def Leppard sounds great live. And those guys are in their 60s. And, you know, so there's people out there who like those songs. They do have a catalog of good songs. And, oh, by the way, all the grunge acts that followed, they're all dead. No, that's true. <laughs> that's true. So, you know, Apparently, they're, they're, um, heroin is more dangerous than cocaine. So, 
Yeah, there that. isn't going to be a 90s revival. That's not happening, you know? So No, they're all dead. Yeah, they're all dead. I mean, you're, you have Pearl Jam, yeah. and that's it. So, you know, <laughs> and the rest of them are gone. Yeah. So are, are these songs, you mentioned that 80s songs are just good songs. Are, are they, this is a tricky question. Do, is it that these 80, the, 80s, the 80s metal genre had a lot of good songs or were they songs that were just easy to like? Does that make sense to you? It does. I mean, they weren't right. Am I asking that question? Yeah, I mean, I think you're kind of in a backhanded way, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're t kind of taking a shot at the songwriting, you know, um, that it was, you know, big hooky choruses and that that sort of stuff, you know, so they weren't writing like, you know, it wasn't intricate music, it was music for the masses, you know, so I mean, but the stuff was made for, it was made to be successful, Great you know, they weren't. It, but and, and uh, don't get me wrong. Sorry to interrupt you, but don't get me wrong. Great songs come in many forms, and right. it could be a super simple form that's really user friendly, and it still be a great song. Like it, it for for me, it, I don't have criteria that well. If the song doesn't have eighty five time changes, then it's not a good song. So no, that's not it at all. Um, I, I guess maybe a better way to ask it was what made so many of those songs so popular it was really easy you know that like tons of hair bands i call them hair bands whatever you want to call them tons of bands in that era all had really hooky songs that were easy to like and i just wanted to get your take on that because that's the way i feel now looking back at it you know what i mean well i feel like if it wasn't for i feel like the image did more damage than the music did and i think as you know if you can yeah, kind of put the image in context you know it's like we did the episode on warrant a few months back and like yeah. you're listening to that record and you're like wow there's piano and acoustic guitar and like some actual arrangements going on in the cherry pie record and it's like who'd have thunk it right um <laughs> but it's like i think yeah. there was a lot that's of that. a perfect example of that yeah I think there was a lot of that when you hear bands like Cinderella and stuff. There was a lot of like just blues guitar and basic what I would consider like traditional, you know, rock songwriting going on. But it was just the image. It was just a little much to take. You know, I think, though, looking back on it, you know, I think Nostalgia Rico is a huge part of it. I mean, people are older and the world is fucking bananas in the 80s just there's a nostalgia for a simpler time we all like to remember what it was like to be young and i think it's totally okay yeah. to have one foot in 2022 and then you know for one night of the year take a trip back to the past and enjoy some old bands and then you know get back to work the next morning you know nothing wrong with that at all in fact i find myself dude at the time I wasn't, I was just, I had, I had, my brain was just in a different place back in the eighties. And I just didn't listen to that type of music. I was listening to other stuff, but looking back on it now, um, several decades removed. And I find myself liking a lot of that music more than I ever did in the previous several decades. I'm right there with so, you. I mean, I hated it in the eighties. You know, I did, I, I liked it wasn't it was poser stuff to me but as i've, yeah. I've softened on it as i've gotten older i kind of just i just contextualize it as part of the evolution of a genre of music that i love and in the 80s it just evolved from 
Right. 70s glam and, nice. and it went into glam on steroids in the 80s and then it totally did an about face in the 90s which all to me felt very natural you know um yeah yep. but i think a lot of it a lot of it's you know a lot of it's nostalgia you know too i mean it's yeah Agreed. but there are kids going to these shows too so who knows man that's very true i mean i i, I work with a young guy who's 23 24 and he listens to all that garbage, man. I mean, not, you know, quote unquote garbage. He listens to all that stuff. Really yep. loves it. Loves all of it too. And they don't know so. any different because for us, we're like, why would you go see those bands? They're so old now, but we're remembering them when they were young. They've always been yeah. old to kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what they I mean? Agree. They're not That's bothered true. by that. That's you know? true. I mean, they, they don't think of, they don't think of Motley Thurman in, in, or Motley Crue in terms of like skinny Vince Neil, they only know him in terms of fat bloated Vince Neil. That's yeah, and they, they accept know. that. It, that but, that's right, exactly. That's their so, Vince Neil, know, man. <laughs> hey, if young kids like that stuff, I'm I'm okay with that because it's so easy. To, it's it's so easy to have a large palette of musical taste now with all the streaming services that are available. But anyway, that's that. We'll get to some really cool shit here in a minute, and we'll be right back. This is KISS, each sold separately, and you can put them in any crazy pose you want. Each 12 and a half inch figure sold separately by Mego. We are gathered here to remember rock and roll. Rock was born the rambunctious son of country, western, and blues. In the year of our Lord, 1955. On this day, the birth of rock and roll gifted under the world a gyrating pelvis, a throbbing beat, and a pulsating rhythm a sound so infectious and rollicking that it would endow previously scrupulous young minds with identity, individualism, and purpose, thus setting forth a multi-generational pursuit of all that is loud, debaucherous, and unholy. But, sadly, like all earthly endeavors, rock too must perish. Oh, we mourn the loss of rock and roll, with its ridiculously old standard bearers still on tour and charging ungodly amounts of Mad Jack to witness their long past the sell-by date asses on stage, and with its chauvinism, misogyny, and whiteness no longer aligning with modern sensibilities. With its aging, fist-shaking fan base, kicking every would-be rocker off their proverbial lawn, rock has indeed passed into the celestial void. May rock rest in peace in eternal cacophonous slumber. Amen. Thank you for that, Scott. You are listening to the Rock and Roll Autopsy Podcast. The Autopsy Report. Autopsy. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. We've got Motorhead, I, uh, and the title of the song today is I'm So Bad Baby, I Don't Care, about three minutes and 14 seconds, off the album 1916, released February 26, 1991. It was recorded the year before that. The genre, heavy metal, mm, I beg to differ on that one a little bit. Label is WGT, producer Peter Sully and Ed Tassium. All right, gang. Thank you, Rico. It's rock and roll autopsy. We've got Motorhead tonight. Lemmy, the fucking Johnny Cash of heavy metal. Dude, I'm so bad, baby. I don't care. Rico, before we get into this, I got to point something out. Yeah. Happy birthday, man. It's our 50th episode. Holy crap. Happy, happy, happy birthday to us, to us, to us. Olay. That's pretty cool, man. Our 50th episode. 50 fucking times we've done this. That's an accomplishment. It hasn't always been easy. Some episodes have been difficult. Nope. We've got a number of them that we've recorded and scrapped, not because we were picky, but because we just had fucking technical issues. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, the, the amount of technical minutia that we've had to maneuver through these first 50 episodes has been crazy and i just want to tell everybody out there that's listening thank you um go tell all your friends how awesome we are and and come and listen to 50 times 50 more because we're just getting started so anybody who's who's listening to us for more than 30 seconds we just want to say thanks and uh thank well thanks put. for hanging with us for our first 50 well put. And speaking of, you know, like Lemmy, rock and roll autopsy, soldiers on, you know, Lemmy and Motorhead, they just made record after record. They all kind of sounded alike. Nobody was buying them, but they kept putting them out. We're the same way. The fuck? <laughs> <laughs> we just keep doing it. And whether or not people listen or not, I mean, <laughs> we're just going to keep rolling along. Keep, keep, just keep plugging away. Keep putting episode after episode, and and hopefully somebody will make a mistake and click on our podcast instead of somebody else's. All right, gang. So it's rock and roll autopsy. We've got I'm so bad, baby. I don't care. Off 1916. It's Lemmy. It's Motorhead. We've got an R and R scoring system. It's a scientific method. We've got five categories. They are gratuitous boomerism, boomerism, excessive misogyny, misogyny. Wanton whiteness. Whitey. Malignant machismo. Machismo. And culture vulturism. vulturism. All right, Rico. It's Motorhead. It's I'm so bad, baby. I don't care. Category one, gratuitous boomerism. How do you score? Um, I think uh he gets a he gets a one on boomerism. Let me. Well, he's old. He is a boomer, so that's the obligatory point for being a boomer. However, he's just he he lived that debaucherous seventies sex, drugs, and rock and roll lifestyle, and that's total boomer. So I, I'm going to keep this one short. I want to hear what you have to say. I give him a plus one for boomerism. Yeah, dude was literally born in 1945. That's like the, the end of World War II. That's, that's textbook definition boomer birthday right there. He was born before the Korean War. <laughs> it doesn't get any more boomer than being born in 45. No. 
All right, Fact. so we'll just move on. Category two, excessive misogyny. And I've got the lyrics here, Rico, if you need to hear them. Let's do that. Hit me with some lyrics. All right, I'm so bad in parentheses. Baby, I don't care. The lyrics are as follows. <clears throat> I make love to mountain lions, sleep on red hot branding irons, when I walk, the roadway shakes, beds a mess of rattlesnakes. Voodoo child, black cat bone, scratch your back and hear you moan. Get me up, you go down, tall building in a single bound. War and peace, peace and love, say it if you dare. Iron fist, velvet glove, I'm so bad, baby, I don't care. Yeah, man, I mean, it's a song about banging a bunch of chicks man i mean mountain lions <laughs> red hot iron snakes in the bed single tall building in a single bound it's a plus one obviously right i want to <laughs> live this lifestyle but like when i grow up i want to live the lemmy kilmeister lifestyle i just want to shove like fistfuls of uppers down my pie hole and just bang everything with a vagina i just want to do that <laughs> Uh, verse two just because i like the poetry <laughs> black hearted to the bone older than the rolling stones been to heaven True. been to hell bought the farm and i won't sell give and take rise and fall rise up and take it all secret love i won't tell knock you up and ring your bell kiss the whip eat the gun tell me it ain't fair murder victim hit and run i'm so bad baby i don't care I mean, in reality, I mean, if you listen to the lyrics, I, I mean, there's a little bit of it in there, but really it's just about living, living that bad boy lifestyle in general. And yeah, there's some, there's some, uh, sexcapades in there too. Um, I'm still going to give it a plus one just because I know he really did live that lifestyle <laughs> and they did just talk <laughs> about it. Um, so I, I, what, what's your score? I'm going to give it a 0.5 because yeah. it's not, keep in mind, he says, I make love. So it's not, he's well, not true. forcing himself true. on anyone. This isn't an unwanted no. encounter. Um, it's yeah. about, it's about sexual dominance. Make no mistake. Um, I like the, uh, the next verse he goes into, I make the blind to see, shoot them full of R and B. I make the lame to walk, come round and pop your cork. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Thought I heard the back door slam. Overkill, walk the line, kill the lights, it's lampshade time. On the road, on the lamb, people running scared. I'm everything they say I am. I'm so bad, baby, I don't care. Yeah, I'm probably going to actually, if I could, I'm going to change my score to a 0.5 also. I'm going to roll it back a little bit. Because he That's said, true. thank you, ma'am. Yeah, because at least he was, it showed a little bit of gratitude afterwards. So <laughs> he, I'll give him a break on half a point just because of that. So I'll give, we'll also give a half a point on excessive misogyny. Now this next, I'm scoring it at 0.5 as well. Thank you, sir. And the next category, I'm particularly interested in your take. It is wanton whiteness. Rico, how do you score? Um. This is a blues tune, and there's been 
uh blues the blues was was invented by a black man was made popular by black people and there are plenty of blues tunes out there that cover the same sort of topic um and so this is a flat zero for me there's there's no there's very the only the i I tell you the only it's not even enough to get a point point five for me um the, the the thing that makes this song white is the is the metalishness of the music but it's a blues tune and bluesy dudes that played this shit on on acoustics sang about the same stuff for 40 years before this so this is going to be a zero for me well you and i are on the same wavelength you were actually saying exactly what i had thought about saying about this song that it is a traditional blues a traditional braggadocious blues yeah totally the totally. music is super raucous and rambunctious and garagey. You know, mm-hmm. I don't hear a lot of like I you kind of took a quibble with the uh with the descriptor of this being a heavy metal uh album, and I kind of agree. I hear this as like a really garagey, punky, garagey, noisy record, but heavy yeah. metal, it doesn't sound like Judas Priest. No, this is not a metal album in my opinion. But this is a this is just a braggy blues song. You are correct, sir. And I'm scoring it for that reason a zero as well. All right, nice. let's move on. Excellent. Category four, and our listeners are on the edge of their seat, Rico. They want to know how we're going to score this mug. Category four. They can barely contain themselves. Malignant machismo. How do you score? Well, I think uh, Lemmy's facial hair gets a one point zero alone, doesn't it? <laughs> Um, let me ask you this. Oh, it's a, this is a, like a straight up, if I could score higher than a one, I would, um, <laughs> what, who has the better stance, Lemmy or Hetfield? Two different Lemmy, stances, two different directions. Lemmy goes upwards with the mic that's too high. Yeah. And then Hetfield is the territorial hunched over his mic. So which one has the better stance, Scott? This is this is a life or death question for you. I've been waiting for decades to ask you this question. Yeah, this is great. I mean, they're both like, um, it's like, how does one pose when they're being territorial? You know, they're yeah, both yeah. iconic rock and roll poses. If you saw a silhouette of either one, you could immediately identify who it was. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. They're as iconic as Chuck Berry's duck walk. These two poses on the stage. <laughs> That's true. Um, but I think I'm going to give it up for Lemmy on this one because Lemmy, the silhouette now Hetfield has that Gibson Explorer silhouette, which is also iconic, but there's something about that big, nasty Rickenbacker, Mm -hmm. the, the Fu Manchu, the, the, the garden of facial warts that he has (laughs) that, that are so large that they show up at a silhouette. He gets an extra 0.5 for that big one on his face. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like he has four noses. It's <laughs> so I think for that alone, I'm going to give it up because the silhouette is just so uh, it's so iconic. Hetfields is too. Hetfields is great, but it's so iconic. Everything about Lemmy is a true. There haven't been many of them in all the uh, 50th episode and all the autopsies we've done and all the sidebar episodes we've done. We have yet to talk about icons. Yeah. Icons in music. 
And Lemmy is without a doubt. He might be the, well, we've talked about a number. You could argue maybe Iggy Pop. You could argue Prince, but there's a number of them you could maybe argue. But Lemmy to me is without a doubt. His icon status is almost more important than the music he made. There's I a statue of him that. at the Rainbow Bar and Grill. Just a <laughs> statue of him there. Because he was in there drinking every single day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not going to disagree with you. Like the the this the the whole aura and appearance and stature of Lemmy far overshadows any music that he ever played. For yes, sure. I totally agree with you on that. Because Motorhead totally at its agree. core was just rowdy Chuck Berry music, especially in the '70s. You know, it was just yeah. rowdy ass Chuck Berry. So it was never about, I mean, the music was great and we loved it, but it's just not a band that like went mega, mega, mega platinum. This was just a working road dog band that put out records and played shows and did it for decades. But Lemmy, a true icon. When you think of like icons in music, you know, he, when I said he's the Johnny Cash of heavy metal, he's like at that level in terms of icon. You know, absolutely. Um, I definitely agree with you 100%. Do you think the reason why Motor? I thought about this all day, actually, the reason why Motorhead never really hit the stratosphere was because of when they came out, because their music didn't really fit the they were like late the late the second half of the 70s, mostly. And by then glam was kind of waning a little bit right glam was kind of going down people were doing a lot of proggy were experimenting with proggy stuff in the late 70s and then you had punk so they weren't proggy they were too heavy to, and too metal to be punk and they were too punk and bluesy to be heavy metal they were they kind of tapped into some different things but didn't really fit into anything in the time period that they were in and they didn't fit into that either so do you think that they were they were a victim of the time they came out or that they just didn't really latch onto one particular style because in this album i hear like i texted you earlier i hear about 85 different styles of music in this one album and you said this is not typical of their albums but what do you think has attributed to the fact that they never really hit that elite elite status like like they are now just because of him you know it it's lemmy that's put motorhead over the top not any of their music and really one song well i think i mean i think yeah they are kind of a one-hit wonder but i mean it's it's not really fair it feels unfair to say that about a band and a performer who's so iconic but they kind of are yeah but really i think you answered your own question i think you summed it up i just sat here nodding because i think you summed it up really nicely i mean they came out Lemmy was in Hawkwind, which was kind of a, a proggy kind of 70s trippy druggy band. And they did their thing. And he was the bass player in Hawkwind, wrote a song called Motorhead for Hawkwind, left the band or was kicked out one or the other. Um, but, you know, you're right. Motorhead didn't really fit in. I mean, they were a lot of people wanted to lump them in with the new wave of British heavy metal that was starting in England in the late seventies with Def Leppard and Iron Maiden and Saxon and all those bands. They didn't really fit in there. They kind of predated it. They weren't really punk, but they drew a lot of punk 
to their crowd. They had a lot of a large punk audience, but they kind of straddled the line between like long hairs and punks. So they didn't really fit in there. They weren't Judas priests. So they weren't like traditional heavy metal. They weren't black Sabbath. They weren't that. And then in the eighties, they certainly weren't anything that was popular in the eighties. The eighties had everything from new wave to hair metal. They didn't fit in with any, they certainly didn't look good enough to be on MTV. They were the ugliest band ever assembled. And so they, they didn't fit in at all in the eighties. This is their first record of the nineties. And it was a bit of a comeback record for them. Um, so to your point, I mean, and also the music, I mean, Lemmy's voice is like definitely an acquired taste. It's not super, even though it's like hopped up Chuck Berry, it's not really user friendly. I mean, it's kind of abrasive. It's definitely pretty rowdy. The productions are often really raw. You know, his bass is distorted. So Lemmy's not really doing a lot to meet you halfway and say, you know, we're not, they're never attempting to be commercial. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I mean, I think they probably had just the right amount of success, but I think you did a nice job of summing it up. They've always been the, you know, the odd ones out, you know, so then ever aligned we, with the era that they were in. So, so then can we, or can, can you attribute Lemmy's popularity to just him, him being like a trope for rock and for rock and roll? Is, am I saying that right? Is he like when you look up rock and roll in the dictionary and you see Lemmy there, is that how he overcame? Really, because when you think about it, that what you just said and what I just said, Motorhead and Lemmy shouldn't be as famous as they are. They shouldn't be. So there's something else. You know what I mean? Is it yes. that is well, it that icon thing that, that Lemmy oozes that has just overcome all of that? Well, I mean, they're super influential. I mean, I think Lemmy, like, I mean, James Hetfield worships him. You know, the Metallica performed as Motorhead and did a whole concert dressed as Lemmy. I mean, they worship him. So they um, they were super influential to the thrash movement. They had crossover appeal with punks. So the one thing Motorhead has that more successful bands often don't is they ooze credibility. So what would you rather have? ton of money in your back pocket and be super famous and maybe have sold out or be super credible <laughs> and so Motorhead, yeah and they 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 had a shitload of street cred with with all the other bands yes so every everybody worships them who's especially musicians rock musicians they're you know rock musicians love them and worship right. them and wanted to be them so they've got all the credibility in the world we've got five minutes left let's wrap this up all right, let's do it. Category five, culture vulturism. Rico, how do you score? I'm so bad, uh, baby. I don't care. Five minutes. I got to give him a point five, um, only because um, this is this is um, a bluesy. It's a bluesy song, and there's some bluesy songs on this album. Uh, I don't want to give it a full one because this is just the type of the band that, that they are. But I do want to give them something because. Uh, it's a style of music that isn't exactly um, unique and um, in particular to them, so to speak, if that makes sense to you. I got to give them a 0. 0.5. I don't even really want to give them a 0. 0.5, but I think I just feel like I kind of have to here. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I, I see your points. I'm going to give them a zero and we'll just say because I 
I can see where you're coming from. So we'll just imagine that I'm giving them a quarter and you're not comfortable with your 0.5. So you can yeah. just imagine that you're giving them a quarter and we'll split okay, the difference. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So let's total up this rock and roll autopsy. What do you have, Rico? Three points. And I have 2.5. And that totals. Well, that's five and a half points. So I think this song falls uh, right where it should be. It's just right in the middle. It, it didn't kill it, didn't contribute to it. It just kind of was there. Didn't Some kill rock and it. roll. Yeah, no, no. Did definitely did not kill rock and roll. I really like this song. I really like this album. What do you think, Scott? Yeah, I like it. It's not one of my favorite Motorhead albums. I love this song. To me, it's this and Ramones are my favorite tracks on the record. But yeah. um, but you know, it's not my favorite Motorhead record. The one before this, I actually liked a lot and it got really shitty reviews. The rock and roll album I like a lot. No one else did. <laughs> but nice. It really, I mean, with Motorhead, you can throw a dart, hit any record. They're all going to sound basically alike. <laughs> and then, you know, you either like them or you don't, you know? Just pick one, listen to it. You're going to like it or you don't. It's like ACDC. They're all, you know, if you're a fan, then you're going to listen to any any one of their albums. So Motorhead's a great greatest hits band. So you yeah. go out, you get the No Remorse Greatest Hits collection, and you're good to go. You don't need to you, need. Buy, you don't need to go buy the individual records, or you just pull up a greatest hits on Spotify and just check that out. Agree. You don't need to go buy twenty studio records. Not necessary. Not for them. You don't. No, not necessary. All right, Rico. Episode fifty is in the can, 50. man. We're getting we're, uh, we're one tenth of the way home. We only have uh, four hundred and fifty more episodes to go. Holy shit, that's a lot of music. Oh well, we're getting old, man that is that is a fact right there you you uh hit the nail on the head there all right sir good night now let me have that special rock and roll music yeah Let me tell you, so the lyrics to real rock music is nothing more than satanic cyanide. Get it out of your house, throw it out, and burn it. It has no place in the house of the righteous. Guys, it was like a mistake. There's no mistake anymore. To the door, loving to the morning. I'm gone. I'm gone. Follow us on Twitter at RNR Autopsy, or you can send an email to rock and roll autopsy at gmail.com. And if we run across anything good, we'll mention it in a future episode. Thanks for listening. Later. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. <laughs> <laughs>